0: Hey, this is Village Elliot, the oracle of Beaver Creek. I want to talk about Coach Kevin Stefanski and what's wrong with Kevin Stefanski's play calling. Everybody on Twitter wants to fire Coach Stefanski, and I'd like to discuss whether or not they have a point. Um, I think a lot of people are unfair to Kevin Stefanski, but they're is some criticism that I think merits serious discussion, and we're going to get into that in just a few seconds. Let me turn down the music here just a little bit. I love that music, but we're going to turn it down uh, just a little bit. Let's talk about uh, Kevin Stefanski, what's wrong with his play calling, what's right about it. It's not all one way or the other. There's Uh, ammunition on both sides of the equation. Okay. And let me share my little PowerPoint presentation with you. And I always fumble with this just a little bit. So bear with me for just a second for those who have uh, video. Oops, present, share screen, and window, here we go, there it is, and um, slideshow from the beginning, here we go. So what's wrong with Kevin Stefanski's play calling? And if you read Twitter, and Twitter just makes you mad, it gets the adrenaline flowing, but the so-called Twitter trolls are demanding that Coach Stefanski be fired on the grounds that his play calling, well, I might put substandard, but what I really mean to say is that his play calling sucks. That's what they say. I don't think that it sucks. I do think that there is some legitimate criticism that we need to consider. But what do they mean when they say that his play calling is substandard. What does play calling mean? What plays should not be called? And uh, you can't just say his play calling is bad. And, you know, that doesn't have any meaning. What play calls? Uh, what, is, um, what is wrong? You know, what is it that needs to be corrected? Be specific. And that's my challenge to everybody. Don't just say play calling is wrong. That doesn't mean anything. Um, However, I I believe that there is some legitimate uh, criticism or concern uh, that I have uh, in that Kevin Stefanski is an offensive-minded coach on a team that this season is a defensive team. He has an outstanding defense on this team, but his offense is one of the worst in the NFL right now. Maybe it'll get better if Deshaun Watson mounts a significant comeback, but right now, His offense is wildly inconsistent. It's not trustworthy. I don't want to place the fate of the game, you know, let's say uh, this week's game. I would not place that in the hands of the offense. I would rather trust the defense to hold them at the end of the game uh, rather than trust the offense to control the ball. That's a difficult decision for an offensive-minded coach to make but I believe that he must swallow that bitter pill. That's tough. And we're going to talk about that uh, in a little while, but let's address some of the common criticisms that we have heard in the past. Uh, First of all, you know, there's a really cheap criticism that you can levy against any coaches. Anytime a play doesn't work, you can say, oh, that was the wrong play call. So if they get stopped on passing, you know, they throw an incomplete pass, you can always say that Oh man! If they had run the ball, that would have worked. Uh, you can, you're always right with 2020 hindsight. If they run, they don't make it. You can say, well, see, they should have passed. I'm not impressed by that kind of criticism, where you can, you know, you can look back and say, well, what if they'd have done the opposite of what didn't work? No play has a hundred percent guarantee of being success, except in your imagination, uh, running it back in a time machine. That doesn't work. One of the other kind of amazing criticisms that we've heard is that Alex Van Pelt should be making uh, play calls. Why is Alex Van Pelt the biggest genius in play calling? I don't mean to criticize the man, uh, but why is he such a good play caller? Uh, the only time that I'm aware of, uh, you know, except there was only you know, one playoff game that Kevin Stefanski designed the play, uh, the you know, the game plan along with Alex. Uh, for the Pittsburgh playoff game, which was a great success, by the way. But uh, Van Pelt called plays for the 2009 Buffalo Bills, which was the 28th most productive offense in the NFL. Why does that qualify him as an expert play caller in the NFL? Is that what impresses you so much that he got the 2009 Buffalo Bills all the way up to the 28th best offense in the NFL? Does that impress you so much that you feel that he needs to um, transcend Kevin Stefanski as the play caller, that Kevin Stefanski can't handle the play calling responsibility as well as the the head coaching position, even though many, many uh, head coaches want to have responsibility for play calling as well as the head coaching responsibility. It's not just the Cleveland Browns that do that. Many, many head coaches do that, especially if they have that offensive uh, background. So uh, I I think you're going to have to come up with a better rationale for why Alex Van Pelt needs to be the play caller other than uh, when they don't make it on third down, you think that they should have passed instead of run and vice versa. There needs to be some much better rationale than that. All right, well, let's talk about Uh, Some of the other things that we've heard over the years that, you know, number one is we wanted to run Nick Chubb um, 60 times a game and have no passing. Um, And here we've got some misplaced cause and effect. You you know, it's it's certainly true that when you're winning the game, you always give the ball to the running back at the end of the game because he's your closer and you get extra carries and uh, you try to take time off the clock. And it, but that doesn't mean that if you get extra carries in the first quarter that you're automatically going to win. You're getting it mixed up. If you've got if you're ahead at the end of the game, you give extra carries to the running back. It doesn't mean that if you give extra carries that you're going to be ahead at the end of the game. Those are misplaced cause and effect. But I will point out, however, that Nick Chubb has a 6.1 yards carry average in the fourth quarter. So, you know, when he's healthy, and he's obviously not healthy this season, but when he's healthy, it behooves you to rest Nick Chubb so that he is fresh in the fourth quarter and you can use him in the fourth quarter when the when the defense is tired and Nick Chubb is just absolutely lights out in the fourth quarter and he beats people up in the fourth quarter. That's why it makes sense you know, they say that you're supposed to, you know, establish the run to set up the pass. And that's backwards. Uh, you should uh, carry out your normal game plan in the first half and use Nick Chubb to beat people up in the second half. It's also not true that the Browns can't come back because they're a running team and they can't come back in the second half. Well, look, if you're running back at 6.1 yards per carry, you can absolutely come back in the second half. Uh, his, by the way, third quarter average is almost as good as his fourth quarter. average, like five and a half yards per carry in the third quarter. The Browns absolutely can use the run in the second half if that running back is Nick Chubb. So, you know, that criticism is out the window. That does not make any sense. It's completely completely false criticism. Um, One other criticism that we heard uh, in 2022, we don't hear that so much in 2023 because we've got a lights out kicker and the Browns have been using field goals because that's what they score. They don't have a huge amount of touchdowns like they did uh, last season with uh, Jacoby Brissett uh, scoring, leading the offense to score. Uh, You know, Um, but uh, Kevin Stefanski was famous for going for it on fourth down, and we didn't like that. And uh, if you go on Twitter and you search for Cade York and Justin Tucker, it'll make your stomach turn. There are so many Cleveland Browns fans that said that we've got the next Justin Tucker, and here's Coach Kevin Stefanski not using him, and they're risking going for seven instead of taking the three – Points the for sure three points. What a terrible idea that is! We've got this for sure great kicker, and he's the next Justin Tucker. And Kevin Stefanski is messing it up by going for seven. Well, I'm here to tell you, you know, it's not by now. It's obvious that Stefanski could not risk sending Cade York out there, even though he was a fourth round pick, and we invested all this draft capital in him. That was not the right move. That was a mistake. We could not depend upon Cade York. Fanski was 100% right on that. Cade York is gone now, but it was really just a wrong move on so many levels. And I'll get into that in a little bit. <coughs> explain exactly why. The mathematics of football explains why, on the average, your money ahead going for seven. Seven points is worth more than three. Let's think about that. Let's meditate on that. Uh, This is the oracle, after all, using mystical powers of mathematics to teach that seven points is worth more than three points. This was in the case in basketball when they instituted the three point shot. It took even professional basketball coaches a long time before they figured out that three points is worth more than two. And even though they missed the three point shot more often than two, it was worth it to take that shot. Three points was worth more than two. Well, I'm here to tell you that seven points is worth more than three points. And after, you know, a, a, a century, well, since 1920. So, yeah, it's been more than a century of playing professional football. Seven points is indeed worth more than three. Let's go look at the data a little bit. Um, yeah. Oh, OK. Let me let me talk a little bit. Let me go back to the running back um, situation. We don't have Nick Chubb this year. Uh, we we did have a neurosis this season about Nick Chubb. I, I don't know if they listen to the Twitter trolls or whatever, but we went into the season with only two running backs. And that was a mistake. And I whined about that. And people shouted me down saying that, oh, Jerome Ford is just great. We we don't need anybody else. We got Jerome Ford. Well, we do need somebody else. We needed to have really four running backs, uh, we only had two. And um, you know, now we're we're starting to build uh, some some depth. We're up to three now. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, you know Nick Chubb is not one of those three. But at least they're trying to find four backs to fill that running back room. Uh, Jerome Ford is part of the room, and he's doing okay. He's not as good as uh, Kareem Hunt uh, has been over the years, but we did bring Kareem Hunt back, and uh, he's lost some weight. He's regained some quickness that he didn't have last season, and he's still awfully good in short yardage. Uh, We found Pierre Strong, who we traded for from the the New England Patriots. It's the first time that we ever made a trade with New England where we might have actually won, Um, but Pierce strong has got four, three speed. He's great in the outside. Kareem hunt good on the inside. We like that combination. We also signed the uh, Kenyan Drake, the former Baltimore Raven. He's a veteran and um, you know, he is on the downside of his career, but maybe uh, after he learns the playbook a little bit, he may be able to contribute in the second half of the season. So maybe we will have four running backs that can distribute the load and um, you know, maybe we can get by and put a running back together that can be assertive in the fourth quarter without Chubb. And it's not going to be the same, but at least it could possibly uh, you know, be uh, functional, um, you know, maybe maybe not even average, but at least to be functional without Nick Chubb. This is not a a good offense overall, it may not be an average offense overall, but at least needs to be able to function. All right, back to when it's fourth and goal. Uh, What about when it's down by the goal line? Why don't we take the three points? And the reason is that the yardage means something. And if you kick a field goal uh, from the one, uh, what happens is, okay, that you kick off, the other team gets the ball, at the 25-yard line, more or less. Maybe, you know, if they run it back, maybe they get a little more than that, maybe a little bit less. Um, But basically, you're giving up 24 yards of field position. And if you just think about it, um, you know, add up all the yards that the teams produce in a game and figure out how many points they get over the course of the game. And it turns out that, you know, about 18 yards is worth about a point. You know That's how many uh, you know total yards in the game the offense generates. And they get about, this year, about 22 points a game. Offense is down this season. And so this year, about 18 yards is worth about a point. Uh, and it's enhanced down by the goal line. It's actually worth a little bit more than that. And so if you have a chance to pin them down near the goal line, it's really more like a point and a half. And let me show that on a graph. Uh, This graph comes to us from a website called advancedfootballanalytics.com. And what it shows is how many points you're going to get as a function of field position. So if you are uh, down by the other team's goal line, you're pretty sure that you're going to get six or seven points, okay, if you're uh, at first down. But if you're starting out, at your own end zone, it's actually more likely that the other team is going to get the ball back and score. Uh, so if it's 99 yards for a touchdown, you're uh, very unlikely to score. And, in fact, the other team is more likely to score a point and a half, as, as I mentioned. And uh, so the the uh, defense actually has an advantage there, and it's not until you get close to – let's say the 17-yard line is sort of the over-under for who's going to be the next team to score. So the defense has a big advantage if they can pin the other team down by the goal line, and especially if you've got a defense as good as the Browns, you have a really good chance uh, to be the next team to score. So, um, so no, uh, it's not a bad thing if you miss on fourth and one, you're still likely to be the next team to score points. And that's why that uh, pushes the percentages in your favor to go for the seven points, because even if you don't get to seven, you're probably still going to be the next team to score points. So that that's an added incentive for you to try to score. And that's why Uh, the numbers, the number crunchers say that, yeah, you're better off. Uh, You've got two ways to score. You either score the touchdown outright, or if you don't make it, you're probably still going to get the ball back and score either a touchdown or field goal on the ensuing next possession. The other team is probably not going to score against you if they get the ball with 99 yards to go. That's what it means. Okay. All right. Well, I want to talk about Cade York. Uh, he, of course, has been cut. I think he's on the Jaguars practice squad. Let's talk about him being the next Justin Tucker. Uh, and I put uh, actually four different uh, people. Uh, Justin Tucker, Cade York, Dustin Hopkins, our present kicker, and also myself. Why? Because it's my show. And uh, Uh, Who's a professional kicker? Well, Justin Tucker is. Cade York, well, he's on the borderline. He's kind of professional for now on the practice squad. Dustin Hopkins, love that guy. Been great. Am I a professional kicker? No. Who can kick the ball 65 yards uh, for a field goal, that is? Uh, Justin Tucker, yes. Cade York can do it, just as strong. Can Justin Hop- Dustin Hopkins do that? That's probably the outside of his range. I would say that the first two guys have a greater range than Hopkins, although Hopkins has been in, consistent in the over 50-yard field goal. In fact, he set an NFL record for consecutive uh, 50 or more uh, yard field goals or the, uh, consecutive games with at least 50-yard field goal, and his uh, he made – His jersey, I think, went to the Hall of Fame in Canton because of that. Now, the crucial thing is, can you actually kick footballs through the goalposts? Justin Tucker, yes, he's one of the greatest kickers in NFL history. Does Cade York do that? Once in a while he does, or he did when he was with the Browns. Dustin Hopkins, also very, very consistent. Now, I wouldn't say that he is equivalent to Justin Tucker, but he's very, very good. We are really fortunate to have a guy like Dustin Hopkins on our team. Okay, what about uh, running his mouth? Uh, Justin Tucker does not do that. He is a great teammate, a great representative for the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL, admire this man very, very much. Cade York does run his mouth. Um, has uh, when he was with the Cleveland Browns, made commotions on the sideline, did all sorts of things, and uh, probably not things that a rookie should have done. Dustin Hopkins is also a great citizen, great teammate from everything that we know, everything that we've heard. Uh, My job is to run my mouth. Um, I'm not a professional football player, though. Uh, Sportscasters, People in the news media, that's our job to be controversial, attract attention, uh, generally be a horse's hind end. Um, So I think, you know, players need to decide whether they want to be media personalities or whether they want to be players. Um, You know, I think I think uh, rookies uh, need to be uh, seen and not heard. They're better off that way. Okay, so who's employable in the NFL? Well, Justin Tucker is on his way to the Hall of Fame, I believe. Cade York, I don't know if he's even going to be employed next season. Dustin Hopkins, definitely employable. Love that guy. Uh, I believe he's on a one-year contract, though. I I don't think that he's signed for next season. And uh, Little Elliot, uh, well, not an athlete. He's going to be a commentator, and that's all he's ever going to be. So I'm going to continue to run my mouth and make my living talking about sports. I am not an athlete, and I don't know anything about pro football, to be honest with you. I'm just going to comment on it. So uh, good luck to Cade York. Uh, I don't think he's done anything that permanently burns his bridges from the Cleveland Browns. I think uh, his uh, rookie sins can be forgiven. If he wants to try out with the Cleveland Browns in the future, I think that the Browns would be receptive to taking him back. Um, But I think that they should provide competition, not just give him a job. And I think it was a mistake, by the way, to uh, not have competition from the get-go. I think that they should always have two or three kickers in camp. And the idea of coddling a kicker And not having competitors in because you're afraid of hurting his feelings, that's a terrible idea. That's not what pro sports is about. There should always be competition. There should always be the threat that somebody's going to come in and take your job away. I believe that, especially for the kicking position and quarterbacks, I would always bring in four or five quarterbacks to to the uh, summer training camp. Um, Competition is good you know coddling your players and being afraid to hurt their feelings by bringing in competitors that is a bad idea so competition not coddling that's my message for the kicking uh, profession and okay so anyway i'm getting off on a uh, side issue but go for it on fourth down uh, generally speaking generally speaking that's your money ahead What about the famous uh, third down and three versus Seattle? I have a different take on that than the rest of the world. Uh, Why did Stefanski do what he did? Well, there's a general rule that you got to play to win on the road, not to tie. Um, If he doesn't make the uh, first down, uh, punts the ball, then Seattle has a chance to come down and at least score three points forced overtime. So that's why he felt that he needed to get... uh, a first down. That's why he passed. Um why didn't he run for it? You know, we've got Kareem Hunt. He's good for 3 yards, right? Well, we don't know that. What kind of shape was Kareem Hunt in? Remember that he's had a thigh injury. He's questionable for 2 weeks in a row. He was a game time decision 2 weeks ago. And uh, how sure are you as a fan that he was good for three yards in the late fourth quarter. Do you know what kind of physical shape he was in? And I would compare that to like a baseball pitcher has been throwing uh, for nine innings and um, the manager comes in to take him out and you're sure that he can still throw. He's at his pitch limit, he's throwing a hundred pitches, but you're sure that he can face the next batter. How do you know that? Uh, I'm not sure at all that he's good for three yards uh, at that point. And especially if uh, Seattle is looking for it, and remember that they sent a whole bunch of pass rushers uh, at that point, they're loading up the line, um, you know, and that's what did them in is they sent extra people up to the line of scrimmage. It wasn't that they were covering all the receivers. Uh, So I, I, you know, I I doubt whether he was going to get three yards against uh, what Seattle was doing on that play. Um, But, 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 but I do have a a point to make here. Uh, I think that the offensive-minded coach, Kevin Stefanski, is a former offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. He does need to learn to place his faith in his defense and not his offense. Now, I would say this, that he was not going to make three yards versus the run. People who say that they could send Kareem Hunt to make three yards are wrong. He was, you know, had a chance, maybe a one out of 10 chance to make three yards by running the ball, but more likely they would have had to have punted the ball and they would have counted on the defense to keep Seattle out of field goal territory. Uh, Now, are you willing to accept that proposition that we would have been playing uh, uh, to keep Seattle's offense out of field goal territory, would you have accepted that rather than throwing a pass to try to ice the game by keeping the ball on offense? That, my friends, is a much better question. Can you be willing to trust the defense to stop their offense rather than icing the game on offense by keeping possession of the ball? That is a much better question, and I'm saying that I don't think that the Browns were going to get three yards by running, uh, but maybe they should have tried it anyway and punted and counted on the defense to keep the ball out of field goal territory. So how about that? Uh, That's what I think, as crazy as it sounds. Um. The main thing that I'm concerned about with the offensive coach is being able to learn to trust the defense. Um, That's a tough thing for any offensive coach to be able to swallow is to let his defense uh, rule his world, basically. Um, And I'm thinking about the 1985 Chicago Bears with Coach Mike Ditka and, uh, of course, the defensive coordinator for those uh, oldsters like me. Uh, Buddy Ryan was the loudmouth defensive coordinator that receives a lot of credit for what happened to the 85 Chicago Bears. They are dominant defensively, went to the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl, and the defensive players carried the defensive coordinator off the field, and Mike Ditka had to walk, and that that created a bit of consternation, a bit of a scandal. But are you willing to let the defensive coordinator have the glory and win the game by doing, excuse me, by doing so. That is a very tough question. Fans, I invite your comments on that question. I'll leave you with that. Uh, Have a great weekend and the rest of the week, and go Browns.